0: Aloha and welcome to Big Wave Small Talk. It's a podcast about big waves and how to survive them. This episode is brought to you by the University of California, Los Angeles MARC program, which stands for Mindful Awareness Research Center. It's in partner with the Jane and Terry Semmel Institute for Neuroscience and Human Behavior at UCLA. Today's guest is a mindful coach and facilitator with different tools such as meditation. We're going to talk to him to see how we can use mindfulness in the sport of surfing, especially big wave surfing. How can you tune out of the fear and doubt and tune in to the flow state?
1: You're not in control. The only thing you're in control of is the ability to surrender. That's all you got. You're not going to get in a flow state if you're totally chill as you're paddling out to a big wave. Um, If there's a little edge, like a little sense, like, oh shit, this is intense, like, I got to really be on this, that's what you want. You want to be in that place where you realize, I can't lose focus, I got to be on this. The sports teams at UCLA are always looking for an edge. It's a, it's a D1 team that's got a pretty great championship history. And so the coach was looking for someone who could specifically speak that language. And since I have a background in kinesiology, I have an undergraduate degree in kinesiology and exercise science, they thought I'd be a great fit. And the coach and I really meshed together really well. And so it's been five seasons of applying mindfulness training to both recovery <coughs> training and peak performance.
0: It was great to see your TED talk about the flow state. I find that to be a key part of many sports with concentration, but especially in surfing where your focus can mean getting the wave of your life or taking the worst wipeout and potentially in the worst case scenario, drowning or being in a just terrible situation in which you need support um, from a friend or a lifeguard how can we achieve this flow state and what's the, your definition of it? It's sort
1: of the Holy grail of, of like psychological experiences, you know, cause it's not just limited to extreme sports. It's, it's also something you can find in martial arts. You can find it in art, you can find it in public speaking, all kinds of things, music. So really it's defined as a state where, um, you're basically completely one with the experience you're doing. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that whatever you're executing, that part of your mind that normally is noticing things and commenting on things and comparing things like, Oh, I could have done that better or make sure to line up your, your arms with the, you know, the pull cue or whatever it is, or if you're paddling out and you're just noticing how it feels, your arms are kind of tired because maybe you did too many pushups the day before, whatever it is, that commentary is um, helpful in training. It's not helpful in peak performance. And so when we're you're in a flow state that's gone, It's just quiet. And the sense of you and the thing you're doing being separate from let's say the waves or the sounds or whatever it is that's going on that's part of the full experience. There's no separation between you and that experience. It's just all one full-blown experience and time slows down. And you tend to be, um, the, the skills that you express are the highest level so it's like you're getting this double whammy of having this amazing psychological experience but you're also in total peak performance mm-hmm. you know so how do we get there you know that's the thing it's like when you read about flow and you look at the science of flow it's it's not easy to get there because you can't just make it happen so basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to create the conditions for flow to happen more often and so one of the things there's like pretty much six conditions for flow and then we got to think about how to train for it um, so, the six conditions are that you need to have a really high level of skill of whatever you're talking about. Even if it's one aspect of a skill, you can have like a flow moment when it's effortless, right? So, you have to have enough of that embodied skill. It's got to be in your nervous system. And then there's got to be enough of the high stakes. Because if it's not high enough stakes, it's not going to tell your nervous system you need to bring everything you got. So, the stakes could be physical, like in surfing. If you're a professional, it could be physical and um, financial and social your status right so if there's something that you can lose then you have a better chance of dropping into a flow state so you've got high level skill um, high stakes you need to have a complex changing environment that requires you to problem solve all the time that's a a way right there's so much complexity going on you need to have powers of focus and concentration They're, they're related but they're different so focus is about seeing and reading the water clearly reading what's going on and then the ability to not get distracted so that concentration is about ignoring the things that aren't related to that, right? Just totally taking in just the data you need. And then you also need to have um, this ability to kind of drop the need for commentary. You know, So that earlier thing I, I described where that part of the mind that uh, comments and assesses and names things takes you out of the moment. It takes a certain amount of of brain chemistry and brain circuitry that violates what we need for flow. So when we're in a situation that we're familiar with, meaning that, oh, I'm doing my thing, I'm doing my sport, I wanna just let my mind orient me without having to have any inner dialogue. The one exception would be if I have certain uh, mantras or phrases that kind of coach myself that might be really useful to kind of bring in some mind states that I've practiced, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but in general, I wanna drop the need to comment. You know, you, you see and you hear and you feel everything. You don't need to have inner dialogue talking about it. Mm. You just drop it. Part of the training will be about how to do that, right? I love to talk about um, this great lyric, uh, Greek lyric poet named Archilochus who said, we don't rise to the level of our fantasies or our aspirations. We fall to the level of our training,
0: mm.
1: right? So we gotta train in all these different things. discipline?
0: The first thing that comes to mind is the high stakes that we have in big wave surfing and the ability for those athletes to really tune into the conditions and concentrate. Because the stakes are so high, it's life or death. If you're out there in the lineup worrying about the waves and then you start also thinking about sharks and all the other factors, what if I hit the bottom, What if my inflation vest, you know, the CO2 cartridge doesn't inflate? There's just so many variables and so many things that can go wrong that it's not just losing a championship. It's, you know, your life, your, an injury, things that can be really terrifying. So does this flow state help you push through the fear or is there a way to actually channel that fear and transform fear into something that you can use positively
1: we have to recognize the kind of the different stages that can include, you know, moments where I step outside of my process when I'm out there and all the things that I'm trying to juggle, trying to get a hold of my mind and I start getting in my head, as they say, right? When I get too much into my head, I'm thinking about things that ultimately, some of which I, you know, hopefully I've checked my gear. I've got to work on my skills that help me so i can trust myself right so that i'm i'm less likely to think about all the things that can go wrong um and focus on reading and reacting right that's really where i need to go so i can take that that um fear turn it into focus and then find flow so it's fear focus flow right? so how do we do that though that's we need to get like really granular on how to how to do that and train that so obviously I need to get really good at my sport specific skills and get as tight in that as I can and understand where my strengths and weaknesses are. And you know, one of those things that I like, um that I'm sure a lot of your listeners might be familiar with to some degree is Wim Hof breathing. The Wim Hof system is great because it really does, aside from you know dealing with cold temperatures and activating the immune system one of the things that i found that's profound about it is that it really helps me hold my breath for long, long periods of time and reduce the amount of oxygen I need. So, you know, in in my very first Wim Hof training, I went from, you know, a breath hold of 45 seconds to two and a half minutes, you know, only 20 minutes of training. It was pretty amazing. So that kind of, you know, thinking about what that means, how it can apply to, to this game, um, would be helpful, but it also is, is interesting too, because, um, I can use just the basic training of Wim Hof breathing, which is a big parasympathetic activation to, um, bring my mind back online. If I start getting in my head, Mm -hmm. right? So if I start, there's a bunch of things that we want to be able to do when I'm out there and, uh, I'm starting to feel a little edgy or I'm feeling stiff in my body. I'm not feeling loose and notice my mind is starting to go through a bunch of different scenarios. We don't want to be in a place where, and this is where mindfulness really comes in. If I'm monitoring and noticing what's going on, I see my mind predicting things and seeing, or maybe repeating bad experiences from the past or whatever it might be. I don't want to be there. There's no, there's no use for that at all. I need to be watching the water, being aware of other, other surfers, and be really present and reading and reacting. So there's a couple of things I can do. If I practice with muck breathing, which has given me the ability to manage cold temperatures, also activate my nervous system, also hold my breath longer, I can just start breathing without doing the whole training. And that activates a whole neural network in the mind and body that put me in control, that put me in a place where I'm doing something. Part of what the mind wants is a forward action in the process of getting up on that board. If I'm thinking about stuff that can go wrong, if I'm worried about stuff that's gonna happen, uh, my mind is no longer engaged in that way. So I need something I can do actively to take a step forward. Another thing I can do if I'm in that place is um, there is what's called panoramic vision. So I can kind of just sit on my board and try and look out in front of me and see the whole panoramic view and bring it all into um, strong focus, vivid focus, and see the whole thing. And then what that does, it activates brain centers that cause dopamine to rush in, and it creates an optimal state for performance. Um, and it calms you down. If you're um, also doing like, uh, if you have a, a, a pre-performance ritual, that's really helpful. You know, it might be everything from really practical stuff like getting your, your your board out of your van or something and doing all kinds of things to kind of prep yourself. But having some time to breathe, focus, and even do some visualizations or bring forth some ideas about, you know, are there words or phrases I want to use? That's part of my, my um, prep that I can use to kind of get my mind in gear if i do this every time i go out right it becomes something that slips into my nervous system and it slips on like a glove when i'm out there i can do the same thing i can recall it and come right back into that state um, there's another thing called you know, kind of getting back on the horse which is you know that old thing of if you fall off a horse you're terrified to get back on you got to get right back on why well again it's that the mind wants to go forward into something otherwise it's going to get lost in replaying and replaying all the ways it could go wrong again, right? But if I give my body and attention network something to do that leads me to my goal, it's all gonna go back into place. And a great example of that is, that is that rock climber, Alex Honnold, who is the great solo free climber who had the amazing you know, um, free solo documentary. And he talks about um, being on the face of Yosemite, I think it was El Capitan, and he, he was on this ledge and all of a sudden he stopped for a break. He was only 300 feet from the summit, 2,000 feet up. And he just took a break just to look at the view and he had a panic attack. He had been climbing for 1800 feet where he was at death's door from 30 feet up. Now he's at 1800 feet. He's on a ledge. He's totally safe, but that's when he has a panic attack. Why? It's because as he was looking out at the beautiful Vista, he started imagining what it'd be like to fall. Mm -hmm. He started imagining what would happen when his mom got the call and he had a panic attack. So, and he's got no ropes. The guy in the camera is like, you know, a good 75 feet away. He's got no help, so the only thing he could do is get back on the horse. For him, what is that? He literally turned his face and looked right at the granite and looked at the granular, sparkly composition of all that rock. And he started to put his hand on the rock. He started to feel the rock, and he brought back all that neural circuitry that knows exactly how to read and react. Dump the thinking, get rid of it. It's not useful. Go back to what you see, what you feel, what you hear. And he climbed up to the summit and took care of business. So that's what we need to do.
0: Getting back into the body. And I think that through the UCLA Mark program, mindful practice, just bringing back to the breath, like you said, it'd be really interesting to try that while you're on the board, out in the water, um, during the lull between the waves, especially when the waves are big and you might have 30 minutes with just waiting and Mm -hmm. you get caught up with who's in the lineup. You have a conversation with someone talking about their last wave. And all of a sudden the distraction amongst, you know, the surfers in the water, or the elements can be so intense that you're, you find yourself out of place or the breathing is no longer the focus, which a lot of apnea trainers and free dive trainers out here on Oahu have specific courses for surfers to engage in Certain types of breathing at every stage of the paddle. So,
1: mm.
0: paddling out, you know, just making sure that you have a rhythm with not only the breath, but uh, the strokes. And then, once you are out and have time to sit on your board, how much CO2 can you expel and how much oxygen can you breathe in so that if you are in a bad situation, you can get as much oxygen as possible to take potentially a two wave hold down where max one minute of just turbulence and, and that turbulence in that moment, especially under a big wave, it's not just one minute of breath hold. It's one minute of just getting absolutely pounded, potentially the wind knocked out of you. That's the moment that's really interesting to me with psychology of big wave surfers is where do they go in that life threatening moment where if they panic, they could drown but if they just relax and go with the flow then they'll probably be fine um so put yourself in that position you're you're going just like a in a washing machine and you know maybe you even have an injury maybe your board hit you and all you're trying to do is relax how would you recommend just being able to relax the body at that point
1: a, a huge trust exercise, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. So you're going to surrender your body to the currents and the turbulence, and you're going to surrender your ability to hold your breath by relaxing your muscles so that you're not building up a lot more CO2 pressure that's going to cause a panic feeling, right? The panic feeling, if you could just think about it for a second in, in, a, in a thought exercise here, if there was just no limit to like your ability to hold a breath and it never felt like you were straining to hold your breath, if it just was like the easiest thing in the world, the turbulence would almost be kind of fun right because there's no there's no threat of of breathing and as long as you're not hitting some reef right if we're just thinking about the turbulence by itself, it could be interesting right it could be a of, it's it's a powerful kind of weird thing um so the key is how do I not panic about breathing right and so there it really is relaxation because the more my muscles are tense the more i resist the more co2 i build up very very quickly and and hopefully i've i've expelled some co2 like you said uh, in my breath process but the more i can relax the better and then i'm also trying to relax the mind and what that means is a total letting go of control just being the complete observer of the experience and that's again where mindfulness really really is helpful so if we get into you know, the definition of mindfulness, um, it is a special state of, of attention and a special state of consciousness. Now, we all have it naturally in moments, but what we're trying to do is train it volitionally. We're trying to actually get there intentionally. To do that, i gotta, I got to do the practices. And this state of attention is kind of a meta-attention, meaning that I'm not only attending to something. It could be something external to me. It could be something within my body but I'm also attending to the quality of attention itself. So I'm kind of monitoring that. And so, you know, in the various formal practices, I'm learning how to track my attention and see that my attention is really a filter. It's not a spotlight, it's not a laser pointer, it's a filter. It filters some things in while trying to leave some things out. So if I'm trying to filter my breath, I'm trying to feel the breath sensations, not as a thought or as a visualization, but has real body sensations. I'm trying to filter out thoughts about sandwiches and thoughts about, you know, vacations and thoughts about bills to pay, right? Now, of course, what happens is until we get better at it, that filter gets sucked into my thought process. and Before I know it, I'm no longer focused on my breathing. I'm actually involved in a very elaborate thought process. And that thought process is really not bad. It's just that we want to have the choice to be really embodied and present with all of our senses and all of our skills that have been trained, or be in a place where I'm problem solving and thinking and planning and remembering, or that kind of intermediate stage where I'm actually using a little bit of thinking, but I'm also really involved in my body. So when I'm in that that crux place, that crucible of being dumped by a massive wave, when I draw my practice, what I'm doing is I'm totally disidentifying from all the thoughts that, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? or This is really bad or whatever it is. Those thoughts might still be generated by my brain because the brain generates them for us, but I'm not going with those thoughts. I'm just resting in this total present moment experience of the body, some of which is unpleasant. I'm relaxing and yielding to that unpleasantness, and I'm not identifying with any of those thoughts. They just come and go, and I'm just the observer of them. And so there's this deep, uh, it's kind kind of a dialectic, active passivity. I'm actively choosing to be passive with my body and passive with letting these thoughts come and go without me attaching to them.
0: It's a great point that it's not only the, the muscle strain that can burn the oxygen um, with those you know, vital moments and vital breaths, but also the panic in the mind that can then burn more oxygen and increase the possibility of something actually going wrong. Which brings me to thinking about the psychology of first responders and people like lifeguards who are potentially sitting in a tower watching the waves all day long. Maybe everything's going smoothly, but then in a second, they're called to duty. I know you've done work with the LAPD, and I was curious as to how you recommend that people in those situations can best respond to an emergency
1: well i think the key thing there is is um the the struggle for the right level of vigilance so they don't miss something right that they're not coming onto the scene late when someone is struggling and there's there's signals out there that might indicate distress you know um, someone's you know most likely they're going to be caught in a riptide or they're they've gone too far out they're not strong swimmers or They've got a cramp or something's going on. Maybe someone's having a mild heart attack or who knows. So there's, there's going to be signals and they have to be looking for all the time. And yet, most of the time, what they're seeing is the noise. They're not seeing signals because the signals, thank goodness, are relatively infrequent. But that creates this particular problem for the first responder who's got to be kind of like a, a, a watch guard or a sniper or someone who's going to, you know, their, their moment of action is very, very infrequent. And so it's easy for the mind to wander because that's what it does. It's easy to be bored. So I'm I'm no longer really taking in the details in a way that makes them salient. So the first thing is how do I maintain this vigilance? How do I maintain this readiness? I was talking to someone who was talking about their own experience, trying to practice mindfulness continuously throughout the day, and they found it exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great piece of information. And if if you've studied mindfulness meditation and you've moved into moving meditation, like walking meditation, eating meditation, and then you start doing other kinds of things like trying to make a sandwich with with mindfulness or trying to play with your kid or your dog or get on to a surfboard, right? So if you find it exhausting, it's because you're you're bringing something to it that's not needed at all, which is a lot of reactivity and judgment. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is right now, Shannon, you've been aware all this time and your body is doing all these things for you, your brain's doing all these things for you and it's been pretty effortless. You've been breathing all this time, it's been effortless. And you know how to do a lot of the things that you're doing and lifeguards have been very well trained so they know what they're doing. And the fact is that if we just get this faculty of attention to just flip just a little bit, to monitor itself and then have the difference between the feeling of sort of drifting off and the feeling of vividness. And then there we are, that's the sweet spot. That's all it is, it's effortless. So, you know, we all, if we drive cars, we all know what that's like, right? We all know what it's like to sort of be like, kind of, oh man, I gotta gotta focus on the road because I was just kind of tripping for a second thinking about something. Or someone was talking to me and I was distracted or any other reason why I might be distracted. And all of a sudden there's this sense because this half ton of metal is moving, my body calls me back to focus. Right, And so that feeling between sort of doing something but not totally being 100% there and being 100% there, we want our life lifeguards to actually feel the difference between standing and scanning the horizon and kind of thinking about something else at the same time mm-hmm. and scanning the horizon and feeling the joy and, the, and the, the delight actually in just being really there, feeling the sun on your face, feeling this the wind on your skin, being aware of people having a good time and really reading the water and reading the people with your skill and like that just feels good it feels awake and alive and so i have to start coming back to that feeling again and again and the nervous system likes to simplify because we want higher order stuff to be possible if i had to think about tying my shoelaces every time i did it uh, we wouldn't get very far in terms of complexity so my brain likes to habituate okay i know how to do this let's think about something else while i'm doing this that's what allows the mind to wander is habituation. It gets to become a habit. Well, in the same way, anything you do, including the work that a lifeguard does, it gets to become kind of a habit and it gets to be habitual. So I need to learn my own habits using mindfulness. What are my habits around 3 p.m.? What are my habits when, I, when it's just half an hour before my shift is over? What are my habits of mind as I'm uh, talking to, to a local who's coming up to me asking me questions? So I learned my habits and I try and stay really curious instead of going with the habits. And what's interesting is curiosity can't habituate. Curiosity is a state where you're taking in lots of information and you realize it's always new. It's always different. Same beach, same shifts, different set of variables every single time. So if I can really tap into the feeling of curiosity, which is the same thing as the feeling of presence, the same thing of Really experiencing life as it's flowing into me, that's going to feel way better than being kind of lost in thought. Mm-hmm. Now, being lost in thought isn't bad as long as I choose to let it happen or I notice that it happens and I'm cool with it. But if it happens because I don't even realize it's happening, that's not so great.
0: I, I'd just like to extend my gratitude to all the lifeguards and first responders, not only on Oahu, but around the world, this is really great insight into how difficult the job is. And um, especially now at the time of COVID when they're risking their life as well, not only potentially a rescue scenario, but just from answering a question from a, a beach goer, we can all do our part to support them. If you are listening and you're a surfer and you'd like to get um, more information about big wave risk assessment, you can act, there's actually a group going around called BRAG that goes around the world and trains. Everything from free diving, there's some meditation with Greg Long, and then there's also a lot of different scenarios where we actually put each athlete into a a worst case scenario where surfers become the first responders and we're learning how to rescue people that are unconscious from the water with only their surfboard, just so that if it does happen in, in real life circumstance, we're prepared, we're trained. Like you mentioned, Brian, we can go into that effortless flow not necessarily overthinking it, but just settling back and be and being like, "I've trained for this. and um, CPR courses, I mean, it's just so important to keep those fresh and new and continue the training in between each season, like now in the summer. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. And I'd love to just um, give the audience a little bit more information about the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. I know there's some drop-in meditations with Professor Belzer and Diana Winston as well, which has been incredible. UCLA Mark Center also has an app where you can tune in and practice your mindfulness and uh, meditate, you know, if it's five minutes in the morning or if you are ready for something longer, even retreats, definitely check out the UCLA Mark program. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Do you have any, any other closing remarks, recommendations for the surfers listening?
1: The, the power of, of the water and the beauty of the water are the perfect place to find that transcendent experience. And so, uh, and it's being done for centuries. And so, you know, there's a huge legacy of amazing people who've uh, led the way before you. So uh, combine wisdom traditions with modern technology and uh, athletic ability and trust in yourself and, you know, go have the time of your life and be safe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and do everything you can to tune into that flow state. Thank you so much, Brian.